throughout this service, in our worship, in our prayer time, our communion, and now in this message, we're focusing on repentance in the kingdom of God. Repentance and faith. That is the call of the kingdom. We are preparing to come to the Sermon on the Mount, to look at that over a period of time, to hear Jesus speak to us about how we should live in the kingdom of God, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. But before we get there, I've prepared three or four messages to prepare our hearts with the understanding we need to approach this most sacred, this most central of Jesus' teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount. The overall title for this that I'm using is The Greatest Sermon Ever Told. So we've got to make sure we have the understanding of the plot, the, the outcome, the story of God, the great story of God's love. Also, Matthew doesn't begin his gospel at chapter 5. He says stuff before he gets to the Sermon on the Mount so that the readers would be ready and prepared to have their lives orientated towards who Jesus is, what his call upon our life is, and how he works powerfully in our lives so that we can enter into that place where we sit at the feet of Jesus and hear from him how we should live once we're in the kingdom. But before we get there, we need to understand what the kingdom is. And I spoke about that in my first message. And then how to enter the kingdom, being born again. That's my second message. In other words, you have to be born into this kingdom. You don't enter it in your own strength or with your own understanding. For until you're born again, you don't even see the kingdom, let alone enter it. So I began to look about how, what it means to be born again and how that manifests in faith and repentance. But today, I'm going to go deeper into this topic, talk more about how to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, you may say, well, I, I'm in the kingdom of heaven. God bless you. You're going to be refreshed in certain foundation teaching of Jesus that keeps you strong and keeps you stable. At least once a year in our regular annual church program. We take people away for an encounter weekend and we go through these things together, right from the most senior person in the church, right through the newest believer. We come back and, uh, and reconsecrate our lives and we revisit the, that first love we had and what it means to turn from our sin, put our faith in Jesus and to continue to walk in repentance and faith as we pursue Jesus. Remember this key phrase, Repentance is always forward-looking. So you may say, well, I'm a believer. All right, you're going to be refreshed today. But there are others who say, well, I don't really know. I kind of go to church. Maybe I don't. I've got my own ideas, maybe. But, but I need to share with you how God calls you to respond to the presence of this kingdom on this planet Jesus is with the Father right now, but His Spirit, the Spirit of the Kingdom, is as present on this earth as Jesus was physically 2,000 years ago. And the kingdom that came 2,000 years ago has not gone away. In fact, it's growing and expanding. And so this news for you today in the call of the kingdom is as fresh 
today in your ears as it was in the ears of those early first century followers of Jesus. Now, in order to go back to this and have a look at it, we need to go back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And for that, we're going to read again Matthew chapter 4. Look at verses 12 through 17. Do open your Bibles. I know we put the Scriptures on the screen for you, uh, but make sure you have your Bible, carry it with you, and have a look, and you can have a look at context and check things out. But I'm going to put on the screen for you Matthew 4, verses 12 to 17, and let's read that together. Now when he, that is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus first went back to Nazareth. In Luke chapter 4, you actually read the sermon that he preached. When he read from Isaiah exactly the same passage, or part of which, which is quoted by Matthew, and we've just read. It's the story of the servant Messiah, the one who said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, as setting the captives free and declaring the year of God's favor. And from then, Jesus set up his Galilean headquarters in Capernaum, just a few miles south of that very high town, uh, little town in the mountains of Nazareth. And there he used Capernaum as a ministry headquarters, and he went all around Galilee, preaching, proclaiming, and demonstrating the kingdom. And Matthew says, all this fulfills a prophecy First of all, there is a description of Galilee and how Jesus, the Messiah, would come to Galilee and shine the light of the kingdom upon this region, this benighted region. Could go into some detail on the description of it, but suffice to say, it was in darkness. They, they were not understanding the kingdom. They were in spiritual bondage and Jesus came to set them free. Now then, before we look at the spiritual state of Galilee, I want you to understand it's a picture of your heart and my heart before we come to Christ. Before the kingdom touches our lives, this is our condition also. And not just you and me, but our friends, our family, our community, even our whole nation without Christ is in this state of spiritual bondage. That's why we need to call us back to God, our friends back to God, and our nation back to God. Galilee was in a deep darkness, spiritual blindness, unable to see, prisoners in spiritual bondage, 
And uh, just that little bit of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, that's the same passage that Matthew is quoting when he talks about uh, Galilee of the Gentiles seeing a great light. There is a word used by Isaiah. It doesn't make it into Matthew's text, but it's there in the context. And it's described, Galilee is described this way, people living in anguish. As I was thinking about that, that, that word gripped my mind. Because it's a picture of everybody without Christ. It's a picture of those who are in darkness, have all kinds of ideas, always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, being fascinated by all kinds of spiritualities, but not entering the spirit of Christ or the spirituality, the one true genuine spirituality that comes from the Holy Spirit, blind, unable to see, captive in unbreakable chains of spiritual bondage, all summed up with one word, anguish. A description of the lost, a description of you without Christ, souls in anguish. Now the Hebrew word, because the Old Testament is in Hebrew and Isaiah uses a word in the Hebrew, which is a, a delightful picture word. Let me describe it to you. The idea behind this word is that of molten metal poured into a mold until the metal sets, the mold is removed, and now that metal is set in that state and in that condition from which you may say there is no escape. Remember, the New Testament warns us not to let the world pour us into its mold, but it's too late already if you're born into this humanity, you've been born into a mold which is set and the mold determines everything about you. It puts you into a miserable prison from which there's no escape. The Bible calls it the prison of sin, living in sin. Now many people today, if you've described this to them and maybe it's some of you listening, say, oh, don't talk to me like that, I'm free. Oh, really? I'm free. You're free, are you? Free to do what? Do what I want. Yeah, what do you want? You're free to sin. That's all you're free. And you think that you're expressing your particular individuality, you're finding yourself in the world. No, you are already set in a mold that determines how you should live, how you should behave, and try and break free from that, and they won't only arrest you climbing up a ladder as they did to the preacher. They will ostracize you. You will discover that you are only free in our society and only free in, in the eyes of spiritual, uh, your spiritual relationship with God, only free to sin. And that produces anguish, deep anguish. But only in, when you recognize the deep anguish of your soul because you're trapped in sin, only then will you be ready to cry out for deliverance. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. Recover your sight to the blind, freedom to the captives, declare to them the favor of God and to deliver their soul from anguish. It's a mission of rescue, of deliverance that begins small but touches the whole earth. The whole earth is going to be set free from this bondage. 
and everyone in it who has responded to the gospel and responded to the call of the kingdom. So all of Jesus' preaching to this point, many, many sermons, I'm sure, but Matthew summarizes it in chapter 4 and verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This tells us lots of things. First of all, it tells us that the kingdom, the presence of the kingdom, calls for a response. It's not neutral. It's critical. After all, if God's kingdom has arrived, you have to decide what you're going to do about that. Are you going to reject it and stay in the anguish of your soul and carry on and play that through to its ultimate conclusion, which is life for an eternity outside the kingdom? Or are you going to bend your heart and your will and say, Jesus, I want your will to be done in my life. It calls for a response. Now, the response is not kind of like, well, what's your opinion? Jesus didn't say, well, I want to share with you my truth, my opinion. But I know you have your opinion, and it's okay. Jesus, who is truth incarnated, issues the call of the kingdom, which is in the imperative. Uh, uh, People who studied languages and, 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 and teachers will know well, that means the imperative mood. In other words, it's a commandment. You must repent. You must believe. It's a, it's a commandment. It's not a good suggestion. It's not an idea. It's not even just something to think about. Well, of course, we want to think about it and see if it is a good idea. Of course we do. But you have not responded to the kingdom until you've obeyed the call of the kingdom. All through Jesus' teaching, if we look at it in the Gospels, It's all about the kingdom, and it covers kind of three main aspects of it. First of all, how to lay hold of the kingdom, how to enter the kingdom. That's what we're talking about today. Then he also says, now that you're in the kingdom, how should you live? What's the lifestyle? What, What is the righteousness of the kingdom that God wants you to hunger and thirst for? And we'll come to that when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, but also in the Sermon on the Mount is this third element, entering the kingdom, living in the kingdom, and preparing for the future coming of the kingdom. Because the kingdom that is now present is not in its final or full form. When Jesus returns, you need to be ready for the full manifestation of the kingdom, which is... Jesus wants to cause you to inherit and to enjoy all of the blessings and the good things of the kingdom forever. All right. So uh, Matthew records Jesus as saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. Luke, quoting the same incident, includes, includes another detail. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe the good news. So we have repentance and faith together. And that's interesting. I want you to understand this. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. If I handed you a coin and it's head side up, 
you will know that there's a tail side, the whole coin, it's two sides. If, if you had the tail side, you know there's a head side. So you can talk about the head, but it also involves the tail and so on. So here it is. Sometimes the expression is used with both these things stated. Repent and believe. That's the fullest statement. But sometimes it's just repent. But the word believe is implied because you can't have true repentance without also having true faith, just like you can't have a coin, tails only or heads only. And sometimes it's, well, in fact, often it's believe, believe. In other words, whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you are called to believe, you need to know that you can't really believe uh, unless you also repent. Faith, believing, is a turning towards Christ and embracing Christ and putting your trust in him. And repentance is turning away. Let us do a demonstration of this. So I want somebody today who's prepared to come on the platform and be Jesus. Sir, would you be prepared to come onto the platform and just be Jesus? It's very simple. It's a, it, yes, yes, you. Don't look behind you. Are you prepared? Come, come here, stand up, and, and just stay at this spot because we've got to keep our separation. Now, in the kingdom, we come closer than this, but this is just an illustration. And up here, you may remove your mask. Okay. So, under this cover, I have something very embarrassing. It's all my past sin, all baggaged up appropriately in these rubbish bags. Unfortunately, there is no council in England that knows how to dispose of your sin baggage. But here we go. This is a picture of my life and your life before we enter the kingdom, before we turn to God. So here we are. This is my life. Now then, to make this illustration correct, Jesus is standing there. I, I, I've got, I've got a, a line for you to learn. Repent and believe and come to me. All right, do you want a little rehearsal? Repent, and believe, and come to me. And you've got to say it with a loud voice. Give it a try. Oh, no, no, come on, proclaim. Okay, he doesn't have a microphone, but there it is. All right, let me just get this out of the way. Thank you. Now then, before we come to faith in Christ, our back is to Jesus. We're going away from him. Our back is to the kingdom of God. We're going away from the kingdom of God and we're carrying all our sin. And our sin is so precious to us. Sometimes we get to feel the burden of it, but most of us are totally unaware of the real anguish of our souls. So I'm going my way, and then I hear Jesus speak. And what does he say? Come on, Jesus. Repent, believe, and come to me. Repent, believe, and come to me. And I turn around and say, who's that? Wow. It's Jesus. He's real. He's alive. I was wrong. He wants me to come to him. And when Jesus says, repent 
and believe for the kingdom of heaven is here. He says, let go of all that stuff. So now you are ready and you are able. Now we let COVID, COVID, no, no, <laughs> just COVID. Praise God. Hey, thank you. All right. Now then, that, that's, that's a picture. Thank you so much. Give him a round of applause. He did a great job. So in other words, repent and believe is not a negative thing. It says, get rid of that old stuff because I am here and I want your life to be free so that you are free to embrace me. I want you to let go of your sin because that belongs to the past. Remember, repentance is always forward facing. It's not, you know, I need to repent. Look at all this. Oh, oh, I hope I'm glad you didn't see that one. Oh, look at this. Repentance is not being preoccupied with your sin. Repentance is letting it go for good and being preoccupied with Jesus. Very important because many people who talk on repentance today are often religious, legalistic bigots. And they don't understand that repentance is about joy. Yep, you've got to let it all go but you do so in order to receive Christ. So this word repent. Now, I got to do a bit of work on this because today in our culture and our mindset, when people use the word repent, it has a very negative connotation and it's, it's a total wrong interpretation. You, you even study the dictionary it's used in a very bad way. It's used of meaning, you know, feeling sorry for your sin, feeling bad and sad for what you've done. You might say, well, what's wrong with that? I would say two things. First of all, that pretty well everybody in the world is feeling bad and sad for what they've done. Doesn't mean to say they've come to Christ. And also, you can go on feeling bad and guilty and carrying all the anguish of your sin without ever forsaking it. God doesn't want you to, be, to feel sad and bad for your sin as much as he wants you to let it go. That's what repentance means in the first instance. Now, you may and indeed should, as we come to that, feel very remorseful and deeply sorry but he doesn't want you to carry those feelings of guilt, failure, and rejection without repenting and letting them go. You know, when you really get to know somebody and they allow you to see what's really going on in their hearts, it doesn't take long before you discover some deep-seated anguish of soul. And that's a great connection in our popular culture to understand where that anguish comes from and how we have to actually become aware of our spiritual bondage, our guilt before God and the effects that sin is having upon our lives, the anguish that sin brings and this ultimate destiny, the ultimate destination. What is interesting today is that we're living in a generation now of several decades where the emphasis has been upon self-expression, 
living for yourself, expressing yourself, finding your own truth, defining your own identity, finding your own satisfaction, finding your own meaning, finding your own purpose, all the emphasis upon you to find the answer to all these things. And what is such a lie about it is that people say this is freedom. Oh no, it's not at all. It's one of the biggest bondages you can ever fall into. But how can you bring life to yourself? How can you find satisfaction for self? How can you do that? How can you even define yourself by looking inward and saying, well, I'll find myself. And this one, find yourself. Find out what your desires are and follow your heart. Follow your dreams. And in that way, you'll discover who you are. In that way, you'll find satisfaction. I know, wonder. People are going around living in anguish. No wonder that mental health issues are a whole all-time high. It is the byproduct of people keeping God out of their lives and trying to manage their own destiny themselves without reference to the God who made them and called them and loves them in Jesus Christ. Wow. The greatest of this, when it really comes down to it, it's like an addiction to self, self-centeredness, and self-glory. Puts it, it's put like this, really. Before you repent and come to Christ, Christ is not on your throne. You are on the throne of your life. And that kind of self-centered living brings you to all the effects, all the effects of addiction, this addiction to self. Today, if somebody said, how would you define a Christian? I would say a Christian is an, an addict in recovery. We are recovering from the addiction to self, that addiction is broken in Christ, but we have to live one day at a time, constantly surrendering to God so that we can master the addiction to self in how we live. I'm talking about the dissatisfying, enslaving, and addictive nature of sin, for which there's no escape apart from the power of Christ. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I started my Christian ministry in very much in the, in the early days, working in Christian drug and alcohol rehabilitation. The big drug of the day was heroin. And I learned some of the language of the street in relation to drug addiction. One key thing is chasing the dragon. Now you might know that from certain movies. You might know that from Jackie Pullinger's book, and she went to work for heroin addicts and helped them in, in Hong Kong in the walled city all those years ago. But what does it mean? Chasing the dragon is trying to recapture that first high. When you first take the stuff, apparently there is a high. It is amazing that you want it again. But when you try it again, it's not quite there but you're still craving that first high. 
and it becomes all the more elusive every time you use and, and you fail to recapture it and it becomes less and less effective until eventually you are so hooked on this without the satisfaction, chemical satisfaction anyway, that you had in the first instance. Chasing the dragon. It happens in all kinds of addictions. Whatever you're addicted to, you need more and more and more to get the original result. There's all kinds of things here, psychology, brain chemistry, all kinds of things. A man who described himself as having a sexual addiction, this is what he said. Now he'd recovered, but this is what he said. He said, it was the only time in my life that I felt alive. It was a high, a dopamine high, a psychological high. There was a high. And he said, the thrill and excitement of being a woman, being with a woman, and especially after a while, not just one, but lots of women. The only time I could get that high again was if I found a new woman online, on the internet or however. I needed a new woman constantly to give me that high and I found it didn't work. Each time it left me feeling emptier and emptier than ever. And the only way to try and get rid of the emptiness was to go and do it again and again and again, leaving me more and more empty each time. That's addiction. If you're suffering from addiction, sex addiction, internet addiction, many people have abused lockdown by going online. And it's happening amongst us. God help us. Today is the day you say no to your addiction and you return to Jesus Christ. Can I have a strong amen from your heart? We need each other. Don't judge anybody. We need each other. We need a Holy Ghost recovery program and, and love and forgiveness and grace. Now then, that is sex addiction, heroin addiction, but I'm talking about sin addiction. It happens the same way. Sin satisfaction is superficial, momentary, and diminishing. That's why the Bible says there's a continual lust for more. And you go down that road, you will always be in anguish. You will never find satisfaction with your addiction to sin and yourself. But listen to the words of Jesus. Whoever drinks of the waters I give will never thirst again. I expected an applause for that. Never, never thirst again. The waters of life that Jesus gives not only breaks the addiction to sin, orientates your life around from yourself to God's glory and gives you the very depth of satisfaction that you thought you could find elsewhere. Here's the process. 
God help you. I hope that today you feel in your soul the anguish, the, uh, the anguish for your sin, and that you'll also realize that it's not just about how you feel, but the real anguish comes from the fact that your sin has deeply offended God, and you soon begin to feel deep pain for having offended God, and deep alarm because you know that He is the God of the universe, and He will judge the whole world, and one day, judgment day is coming, a day of reckoning, and you need to flee from the wrath to come. All that, it sounds negative, doesn't it? But you will see, repentance is always forward-looking. That's the old stuff. That's the bad stuff. That's why you say no to all that stuff and not just walk to embrace Jesus, but run to embrace Jesus, who is your security, who is your authority, who is your identity, who is your saviour, who is your Lord and the one who gives you life. Amen and amen. Then you say, I realised I was wrong. So very wrong. That's a sign that somebody has repented. See, repentance means a change of mind. You realise that you were wrong. You were wrong about yourself. You were wrong about God. You were wrong about the Bible. And you understand now that God is real, that Jesus Christ came and God's Word is His truth and the Gospel is true. You were wrong and you admit it. Just as Paul, who was called Saul of Tarsus on his road to Damascus, breathing out threats to persecute this new movement of believers and he says, I'm going to kill you all. And he met Jesus. And he realized he was so wrong that this Jesus of Nazareth was not some false teacher, some sectarian interloper, but he was and is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. I was so wrong. And in that, when you know it's all that behind you is wrong, and it doesn't satisfy, it's going to, going to continue to perpetuate and increase the anguish of your soul, you turn around and you follow Jesus and you keep running. Repentance is always forward-facing. And so this is what it means to repent. Can you see how it also means to believe? Because repentance, which is a change of heart and mind, leads to a turnaround of life and a whole new life as you follow Jesus. Repentance, which says, I was wrong about Jesus and the gospel, now turns around and says, Jesus, I commit, I believe you, I put all my trust in you, especially in the truth of who you are and what you've done for me. It's about the truth of the gospel. It's not some vague spiritual awareness that there is a spiritual dimension out there that may be accessed in any way New Age teachers tell you or religious leaders tell you. You understand that the truth of the gospel centers around Jesus Christ who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you put all your eggs in one basket. You don't just believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but you trust Him with your whole being, and especially you cease to trust yourself and follow your own path, and you transfer your trust from yourself, all the stuff that you thought that you could do to make yourself acceptable, and you transfer all that trust to Christ. That 
is what faith and repentance is all about. Repentance and faith means you transfer your trust from yourself to Christ. But it also means you trans transfer your affections. You transfer your love. Being born again, which is linked to repentance and faith, is a massive reordering, restructuring of the loves in your life, especially as they relate to you. This means that you now transfer your affection to the love of God rather than the love of self, to the love of the praise of God rather than the praises of men, that you learn to love God above the love of sensual pleasures of this life. And in place of all other desires and affections, you now desire Christ and pursue Him as first place in your life. First place. So often, and I'm coming to land, but so often in our cell vision, we, you cell leaders will know why I'm preaching like I'm preaching today because you spend all your time, day and night, on the phone trying to persuade people to get them to the place where they'll actually put Jesus first in their lives. You shouldn't have to do that. It happens at conversion. If you're properly born again and you've turned to Christ, you love Him. More than anything else, you die for Him. Now, that love may not be as developed as we're able to articulate it now, right? But you grow in your grace and your love. I want to say to you, if Christ is not in first place in your life, get Him very, very quickly. Don't go to lunch until you've done it. And it is that simple. Say, Jesus, I want you back. I want your first class in my life. Now, remember I said Christians are addicts in recovery. It doesn't mean to say that it's all plain sailing. If you've ever tried to help people coming in some addiction, it's a long-term process and you have to be patient and help and there will be, there will be hiccups and there will be um, relapses. But this means we're not perfect. But fundamentally and permanently, our lives have been changed. And what we want, you might say, well, Jesus isn't first in place in my life, and I'm sorry about that. But the fact that you're sorry about that, the fact that you want him there, you desire him to be there, is the great, great start. And when we embrace him, everything changes. The affections of our heart changes. And now we're so full of gratitude. We'll love him because he first loved us. And even though we may fail him and do, we quickly come back and say, God, forgive me. Help me. Have you been born again? Have you truly repented from your sin and put your faith and trust in Him alone? Have you done this and need refreshing? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. Please, don't spoil this holy moment. Everybody, under the sound of my voice today, wherever you are, I challenge you and confront you lovingly, but with the truth of the gospel. Jesus is the Son of God. He died for your sins. Can you believe that? No. Can you investigate that? Are you ready to inquire at least 
And if you have inquired and you say, yeah, I believe it, are you ready to commit to it, to trust in Jesus? Not just believing that He is the Savior of the world, but it's believing in Him, believing in Him to save you. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We ask for your goodness and your grace. Do what only you can do, Lord. I know that the Word of God carries power, power to, to create faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I pray that you create faith and repentance in the hearts of all who hear and fresh repentance and fresh faith in all of our hearts as we together as a body of people say, God, we turn afresh to you. We refuse to look back, backwards. Repentance and faith always takes us forward closer to you. So we draw near to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Before we hand over for the final song, let me just give you some further, a little bit of instruction. This is more than just repeating a prayer, you know. This is speaking from your own heart and crying out to God, save me. And there might be things you don't understand. I didn't understand everything. In fact, I understood very little when I became a Christian, but I understood this. God loves me. Jesus died for me and he wants me to turn from my sin to follow him. How about that? A Sunday school child. Can I understand that? The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. You can understand that. All the depth and the understanding and the growth and the fruit takes time to develop. But right now, you just need to say yes to Jesus in your heart. You can talk to us. You can do it by going to the welcome room, uh, linking to that. You can contact us through info at kt.org. Or you can also go online and have a look at The Way to God on that top-down menu. Drop it down and you will see there's more there. But it's so important. Listen to me. Listen to me. God wants to do so much in your life. Our nation is at a turning point. It's at a flashpoint. God is calling more and more people into his kingdom that we might stand for righteousness and be part of the solution, no longer part of the problem. God is calling you. Amen.